Hey everybody, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. I am very grateful that you've tuned in today. If this is you, well, if you're a first-time tuner-inner, then you don't know who you're listening to. But my name is Jeff Lyle, Senior Leader at Antioch Outpost. That's the new name of our church. Just changed a few weeks ago. Like getting it out there, Antioch Outpost. And um, also the founder and president of Transforming Truth Ministries and just a pretty relaxed kind of chill guy when it comes to Mavericks and Misfits and talking to you about incredibly important kingdom issues, things that matter to the heart of God, things because they matter to the heart of God that should matter to you and to me. And ultimately, you won't find me um, living in any kind of denominational box. Uh, That's pretty much the reason for the title of the show, Mavericks and Misfits, because if you dare to live your Christianity by unboxing God, not that he was ever in that box, but a lot of people like to think that he is, but when you refuse to put God in a box and that you just believe the written word of God and you depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to fit in in most denominational churches, hence the name Misfit. And if you are one of those who says, show me in the Bible before I believe it, then you are a maverick. That means you buck the system. And although I don't know that I actually thought through all of that when I came up with the title of Mavericks and Misfits, that's basically what it represents. Because we want to know what God says. We want to learn what God is doing. We want to get in on it. And we don't really want to, those of us that are part of um, this podcast, we we really don't want to waste any more time um, kind of dickering around with the stuff that's in the, the fringes of Christianity. Like, man, um, I just want to know what's true. I mean, don't you ever get to that place? You just, just somebody tell me what is true. I searched for so long as a non-believer who, by the way, grew up in the church. I searched though for so long, just like, what's the truth? Cause this Yahoo says this, this pastor says this, this prophet says this, this teacher says this, this podcaster says this. And, you know, there were just so many opportunities to become something else that somebody else was saying about what a Christian is to be. And I finally, when I got saved in 1994, I finally just said, I want to know what God says. (laughs) And, you know, I think the desire was pure, but man, I found out the hard way that a lot of people just don't really want to. They don't want to fool with you when you just don't buy hook, line, and sinker everything that everybody says. And so when I got saved, I was um, immediately thrust into the Baptist world. And I thank God for Baptist. I say that on the podcast regularly. If you're a Baptist, please don't ever think that because I'm not one anymore that like I'm mad or anything. I'm just telling you that when, when I got saved, I ended up in an independent fundamental Baptist church. And it was probably good for me because I had been such an insane sinner that I needed some probably some heavy change just to hold me down so I could learn for a minute. But that heavy chain of legalism and the denial of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, those things became problematic for me. And um, when I was taught, and I was taught this by my mentors, I was taught this from the pulpit of my pastor, I was taught this by the commentaries I read, I was taught this by just about everybody back in those days, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped around the turn of the first century. And um, I just believed it, because whoever gets to you first is usually the one you believe the longest. And so I just believed it and I just kind of regurgitated what I was taught. And then I started, I did this thing called reading the Bible. 
<laughs> and I saw that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were a major part of the New Testament. And I learned in studying verse by verse, sometimes word by word, and doing Greek word studies in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that the Bible actually never says that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have stopped. The Bible says they will stop. You know when that is? When Jesus comes back and we behold him face to face. That's what the Bible says. And so I spent the first probably six, seven years of my Christian life preaching against the gifts of the Spirit because that's what I was taught. And then when the Bible corrected my thinking, I went dormant. I went silent. I was a little bit cowardly. Can I, can I just confess that? Um, I was a lead pastor. Actually, I, I changed my theology before I was a lead pastor. Um, and I'd realized, oh, the Bible actually doesn't teach that the gifts ceased. It doesn't teach that anywhere. There's not a single verse in all of the Bible that teaches that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit have stopped. It's just not there. But uh, I had to learn that. And while I learned it, I was still on staff and I wanted to honor my pastor. And so I didn't buck the system. I kept my beliefs to myself. But when they made me lead pastor, a few months after that initial, um, what do they call it back then? Installment. They installed me as the lead pastor. Just a couple of months after that moment, I was sovereignly ambushed and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I began praying in tongues, and I'd never been around tongues in my life, save for one time when I was a, a childhood, uh, in my childhood. And so immediately I was in a dilemma. And so for several years, I was just kind of a, a fear of man, dude. I was like, man, if it gets out, man, that I'm speaking in tongues and exploring the gifts and all that, I'm going to split this Baptist church right down the middle, and they'll run me off. <clears throat> So I chose to keep it to myself. Ultimately, um, the spirit of the Lord said, um, you're sitting on treasure. You're hiding treasure. You're, you're literally keeping a major part of the Christian experience away from the people you're called to shepherd and teach. And Jeff, I'm not going to let you do that any longer. And so um, I began to teach our Baptist church on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. About a third of the church left two-thirds stayed, and the story has been getting better and better ever since that day where I came out of the charismatic closet and I said, look at me, this is who I am because this is who New Testament Christians are. So that gives you a little background about um, the way I think and why I do what I do. So here we are, you know, 20 years later, and um, this podcast is really to help you think through your faith. I don't, I don't do a lot of pastoring on this podcast. I basically speak, I teach, sometimes we get into a little bit of the prophetic, but ultimately I'm, I'm an agitator. I just want to, I want to stir the pot. I want you to not settle for somebody else's beliefs or experiences. I want you to be a student of the word. I want you to get into the riches of the treasure of scripture and I want your prayer life to be conditioned by what you read in the scripture. And I want you to go to the Lord with what you read. And you can go to the Lord with what you hear other people preach and teach, but go to the Lord with it. Because ultimately, what births the kind of Christianity that the world needs is each Christian having an intimate relationship spiritually with God. That means no leftovers, no secondhand experiences. No um, hand-me-downs where you're just basically doing what I did in my early Christian years, regurgitating what your favorite pastor or podcaster said, and but you don't have any personal experience of it with yourself. And so in this podcast, I'm always telling you, hey, what does the word say and is that being played out in your life? And today I want to talk to you about a very specific um, couple of statements from Jesus Christ in the book of John. 
Um, and I'm going to read you a couple of verses out of John 14. And it's a passage of scripture that, man, I think every flavor of the church, you know, we got flavors in the church. I've already mentioned I was a Baptist. I would now consider myself a, a, a Bible-based charismatic um, because I believe in the charisma, the gifts of grace, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Peter writes about it, and Ephesians 4, Paul talks a little bit about the uh, gifts of offices in the church. And so those frame me up, and so I'm an unapologetic charismatic, but I'm not a charismatic who is, you know, watches his Bible gather dust. I'm in the Word constantly. And whereas I would say to all my Baptist listeners, hey, you guys need to really press in and explore and start doing what the Bible says, because I know if you're Baptist, you love the word of God and the word of God says you are to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that, that you may prophesy. So don't only read your Bible, believe it and obey it. So you should be pressing in, God, I want all of the gifts that can be unlocked in my life to be unlocked. And Lord, I believe you give them. Your word says it's true. So God, I'm not content not experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit in my life. So Lord, I'm pressing in. And I'm going to tell you, he's not playing peekaboo with you. And when you start praying that and you mean it, that it's not some technicality. Well, if God wants to give me the gifts, he knows I'm asking for it. No, that, that just betrays a heart that doesn't really want the gifts. You're just checking your list saying, well, I'm not really a, a cessationist because I'm asking for the gifts. But you don't expect him to pounce. You don't expect him to pour into you the power of God and ministry gifts. They're not, they're not showboat gifts. They're not toys. They're, they're tools for ministry. And so I would say to my Baptist friends, you need to be exploring the gifts of the Holy Spirit and asking for them. And that goes for Presbyterian or any cessationist doctrine uh, and denomination. And to my charismatic friends, I'd be like, man, open your Bible. You know, get up off the floor where you've gotten slain in the spirit for the 19th time, but you still don't know a, a lick about the covenants. You don't know the, the order of the books of the Bible. You, don't, you can't explain anything about soteriology. You don't know the doctrine of salvation. You don't know the doctrines of grace. And, and all you're doing is seeking that next, you know, cool encounter. Now, come on, we got to grow up. So, man, if the if the charismatics could ever get the love of the word that the, the Baptists and the Presbyterians have, and if the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the cessationists could ever get the experience of the raw flame of the Holy Ghost, yeah, I said it the old-fashioned way, Holy Ghost, amen. If we could ever remarry those two things that were central to the first century church, maybe we'd look like the first century church. Maybe we'd see signs, wonders, and miracles. Maybe we would see massive salvations. Maybe we wouldn't have to reform the church every 25 years because doctrinal error won't get into people who are grounded in the word. And so that's, that's just kind of like what I want to prime the pump with you today. And I want to talk to you just, it's not going to be a long one, but I want to talk to you about something Jesus said in John 14 that we just need to slow down and linger over all of us, all of us, no matter what your flavor of Christianity is, we need to ask some questions about some stuff that Jesus said. And so I'm going to read to you. Jesus is saying to, to the disciples that he's, he's about to go back to the father. And Philip says to him, Jesus, show us who the father is. And that'll, that'll be everything. That'll suffice for us. Show us who the father is. So in John 14, nine, Jesus says to Philip, have I been so long with you and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me 
has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, here's the statement that Jesus makes. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. So John 14, 12 is the verse that I want to ask, what are you doing with this verse in your life? I don't have to ask you if you believe it because you wouldn't listen to this podcast if you didn't have a high regard for the authority of Scripture. So when, when we're looking at the words of Jesus recorded in John 14, 12, he opens it up by saying, truly, truly. In other words, I want you to know that what I'm about to say is 100% true. And so Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. Now, let's just pause right there for a minute. Jesus is speaking about anyone who believes in him. So I'm going to go out on a really sturdy limb here, and I'm going to say, I think that means you. I think Jesus is talking about you because you believe in Jesus. And Jesus says this, Anybody that believes in me will do what I do. Now, you can run right past that statement. It'll probably not grab you. But if you will just think about what he's saying, it'll reach up, take you by your collar. And if you try to run past it, it'll pull you back and it'll say, stare at the words of the Son of God and tell me what they mean. He said, every Christian, whoever believes in him, will do what he did. So, begs the question, what did Jesus do? Remember the, the WWJD bracelets back in the day? What would Jesus do? Well, here is a uh, WDJD. What did Jesus do? Because Jesus said what he did will do. And what he said or what he did was he went around teaching. He went around preaching. There's a distinction between that. He taught the Torah. He taught the prophets. He taught from the Hebrew scriptures. That would be the equivalent of our Old Testament. But he also preached. That means he would have the, the, literally the unction of God on him as the son of man. He would be proclaiming what he's hearing the father saying in the minute, in the moment. So you can call it prophecy. It's hard to say that because Jesus is God. But I believe as he's functioning as the son of man, he's speaking prophetically what he's hearing the father say. He's not just speaking out of his divinity. He's speaking out of the intimacy that he has with the father, which is why he said, don't you believe the father is in me and I'm in the father that speaks of their intimacy. And then he has said, I don't say anything, but what I hear the father saying, I don't do anything, but what I see the father doing. So Jesus was constantly in intimate communion with God, the father. Don't ask me to explain it. Just believe what your Bible says, because your Bible says that. And so from that intimacy, Jesus would flow in works. And the works included preaching and teaching. I don't think anybody really argues about that. 
we're all to be witnesses. We're all to speak. We may not have the official, you know, kingdom call as an ordained office of prophet or preacher or teacher, but we're all to communicate the gospel and people sign off on that. But what are the other things that Jesus did? What about healing the sick? Because Jesus said this, he said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. So let's just kind of distill it down to bite-sized chunks. Christians, those who believe in Jesus will heal the sick. That's just what Jesus said. Jesus cast out demons. So by virtue of what Jesus has said in John 14, 12, Christians, those who believe in him will cast out demons. Uh, Jesus raised the dead. Hello. I've not raised anybody from the dead. I haven't. But Jesus said, those who believe in me will do the works that I do. And he raised the dead. So Jesus had creative miracles. Jesus had power to work nature in ways that were supernatural beyond nature's laws. And Jesus said, those who believe in me will do the works that I do. Now, before you excuse yourself from this discussion, don't listen to your rational mind that will immediately, if you're not careful, and it depends on how you're wired, your, your rational mind will go into overdrive right here, explaining away what Jesus said. When G, what Jesus said wasn't complicated. We're complicated. We're overcomplicated. What Jesus said is that we would do the works that he did. Cast out demons, heal the sick, um, to raise the dead, to preach and teach the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Like Jesus did works of compassion, works of mercy. We see a lot of that through his healing ministry. And guys, we can't just reduce Jesus's life ministry while he was here on earth to preaching and teaching. I mean, if that's all he ever did, then it would make sense that all we ever do is preach and teach. But he said, we do what he did and he healed the sick and he cast out demons and he raised the dead. And so the question that I'm asking is why aren't most Christians pursuing this? Jesus even took it a step further. Hold on. Jesus didn't just say that we would do what he did. Jesus said in John 14, 12, and greater works than these will the one who believes in me do. Jesus said, I'm going to the father. A lot of scholars will tell you all Jesus meant there is that Christians would do more in, in, in number, more works than Jesus got to do because Jesus only ministered for three and a half years. Therefore, what Jesus was saying there is that not we, we would do beyond what he did or, or differently than what he did in the sense of more as in greater. No, they just say, uh, they say that, that we'll do um, more numerically. We'll have more time. Therefore, we'll do more works. And guys, I just want to say that's just a rationale. It's a rationale to explain away why we don't have the power that Jesus said we would have. Greater works than these. Jesus said, oh, you can't imagine the works that my followers are going to do. And guys, instead of pursuing the greatness of what can be done in his name by his power through his blood in his spirit, instead of pursuing that, instead of living with the, the inward 
hunger to say, ah, oh, Jesus said we could do more. Jesus said we could do greater. Jesus said we could go beyond anything we can ask or imagine. Actually, Paul wrote that, but Jesus founded up that statement when he said, oh, you can do greater works. So I want you to think about your life and mine. And by, by no means is this supposed to be, you know, with the goal of let's all feel guilty about the um, lack of power in our lives. I'm talking to the big C church, anybody that's listening. You're, you're a representative of the big C church and we're not seeing power. And I'm going to tell you why. How would you like to know why? Would you like to know why the church does not operate in the power in which she should operate? Are you curious? Well, I'd like to tell you. It is because the church doesn't understand that power flows through consecrated intimacy with God. That's where you get your power. And the church as a whole does not have a high enough level of consecration nor intimacy with God to be able to flow in power because power is not arbitrarily given by some holy zap from heaven that finds the lukewarm, backslidden, half-hearted Christian and all of a sudden she becomes endued with power from on high and she's raising the dead. No, my friends, I'm going to tell you there is a clarity on this that Jesus as he's the son of God, he's God, the son, and yet he is also the son of man. And although you're, you're only like one, you're six inches away from heresy when you start talking deeply about the divine nature and the human nature, that hypostatic union that Jesus lived in, that dual nature, God and man, 100% God, 100% man. And when you start breaking it down, you're always risking saying something that's not <laughs> doctrinally orthodox, but I'll risk it. My personal belief is that when Jesus was ministering on earth, most of what he did was as the son of man who was living in perfect communion with God the Father. I think that when Jesus was walking on earth, that tells you why he prayed. Have you ever wondered, why did Jesus pray? Jesus is God. Why does he got to pray? Because he's living as the son of man. He's living as the human representative. He is living as one of us. And he is doing all of those things that in human nature we are to do, which is to pray as one of them, submit to the father, listen for the father's voice, discern what the father is doing outside of you, and then to get aligned with all of that. And Jesus did that. That's why Jesus would go, oh, he'd get away from everything and go and pray. Why? Because he loved intimacy with the father. And it was in those intimate times that God would say, here's the 12 disciples you pick. It was in those intimate times where, where, where he would find out, oh, my disciples are out on the sea. The ship is about to sink. I'm going to go walk on the water. It's from intimacy that Jesus as the son of man flowed in all of the gifts he always did those things which pleased the father. That was his testimony. He went about doing good. And now here we are 2,000 years later as the church and we're thinking, if I can just get to the right conference and the right woman of God or man of God can lay their hands on me, they will impart to me everything I need to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. And guys, that is such a cheapened way. God's not going to entrust that kind of power to a church that doesn't even want to slow down enough to talk to them. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm again, part of the, the slice, the segment of the church that is known as charismatic. And we do see healings and we do, we cast demons out of people and we preach the gospel. I've never raised the dead, nor do I know anybody personally that's raised the dead, but it's not because the dead can't be raised. What it is, guys, is even in the charismatic church, there's this terrible, terrible overestimating of how capable we are of stewarding the kind of power that we say we want. We literally have come to a place now in the American church where we feel like God's going to release consistent Holy Spirit power for the supernatural and the miraculous to a church that is too lazy to turn off the TV and open their Bible. Or we want to be a part of a church that sees breakthrough miracles and yet we don't operate in holiness in that church. It's not all on the pastor, by the way or the leader of that church. Listen, Joshua in the Old Testament was an incredible leader, and he took the military up to fight the city of Ai, and they got their backsides handed to them by a smaller army. And it wasn't because Joshua wasn't a good leader or walking in holiness. It was because one in the camp named Achan had sinned against God and had hidden it. And God said, yeah, I'm I'm actually not going to let the entire nation and army go forward because there's sin in the camp. You know, a lot of churches don't see any breakthrough, and sometimes it is the leader or the pastor. But sometimes that leader or pastor can be doing everything. They can be on their face fasting and praying and seeking God and walking in holiness and refusing compromise or contamination, and yet you've got either a person or somebody else in leadership, or maybe it's just somebody sitting in the pew, and God says, oh, I'm actually not going to release dead-raising, demon-casting-out, supernatural healing power to this church because it's contaminated. We live with the idea that we're all fragmented from one another, that we're all a bunch of little microdot islands in a big sea of humanity, and God doesn't view it that way because the body is one. And if there's a sick part of the body, it affects all the rest of the part of the body. So here's here's a quick word. If you've got compromise in your life, have you considered lately that you may be the person that's actually holding back your church family from experiencing the breakthrough that others are fasting, praying, and contending for? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the breakthrough that might come to your family if you would get on fire, if you would stop being compromised, if you would just make up your mind that you're not going to be a perpetual, you know, devourer of podcast after podcast, being a hearer of the word, but not a doer. And so Jesus has, has made this pledge to us guys. He says, Christians will do what I did. That's the way he would say it now. He said it in John 14, 12 is Christians will do what I'm doing. And we're not doing that. Now, there could be the possibility that some of you would think that I'm overreaching and maybe the things that Jesus did are not actually for modern Christians. And Jeff, you've just taken it up a notch. Well, when you get to the book of Mark chapter 16, one of the final statements of Jesus Christ to the church he, he, remember that he told him, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to everyone. And he said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
Now, we're all good on that. We said great commission is go out and preach the gospel, go out and make disciples. But Jesus also said this. He said it in um, Mark 16, 17. He said, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. Now, here we go again. Jesus is not saying a special class of Christians. John 14, 12, he's saying, no, those who believe in me will do the works that I did and greater works than I did, they will do. And then in Mark 16, 17, he says, here's the signs that will accompany, not the charismatics, not the fivefold offices of uh, prophet and apostle. No, those who believe in my name. This is what Jesus said. And, and I'm going to ask you, if you don't believe this, then you better have a real good reason why you don't believe that Jesus Christ said this. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. And the first thing he says is they'll cast out demons. They'll cast out demons. And then he says they're going to speak in new tongues. That ought to grab you by the throat, my cessationist friend. Jesus didn't say for the next 55 years, 60 years, whatever it was at between the time he died and the time the last apostle died. He he didn't say up until then they're going to speak in new tongues, but after that, nope, it's done. No, he said that new believers, excuse me, that believers in him will speak in new tongues. They'll speak in tongues. They'll cast out demons and they'll speak speak in tongues. He says they're going to pick up serpents with their hands. Now hold the show right here. He didn't command them to pick up serpents with their hands. He didn't say, prove your mind by picking up snakes that are venomous. God help y'all that do that. I doubt anybody listening to this podcast does that. But y'all have seen all that crazy stuff, right? Some of them people out in the middle of nowhere having them snake handling. And some of them jokers die, man. They get bit by that. What Jesus is saying is here, if you get bit, if you pick up a serpent. By the way, Paul did that in the book of Acts. The serpent wrapped around his hand. He picked it up and it bit him and he threw it into the fire. And the poison had no effect on him. That's what Jesus is saying. That we'll have, we'll have power over those things that would naturally destroy if we believe in him. He said also, if they drink deadly poison, he didn't tell you to go drink deadly poison. He says, if you do and you recognize it, if you believe in him, he says it won't hurt you. And then he says this, they're going to lay their hands on the sick and the sick will recover. That's the last thing he said in Mark chapter 16 before he was received back to the father. The last thing Jesus says in Mark chapter 16 is that, If you believe on him, you'll be saved. And if you're saved, you're going to cast out demons. You're going to speak in tongues. You're going to pick up serpents and they will not harm you. You're going to drink deadly poison and it won't kill you. And you're going to lay your hands on the sick and they will be healed. So again, I think we're addressing a couple of things here. One, have we been just kind of glossing over John 14, 12 and Matthew 16, 17, 18? Chapter 16, verse 17, 18. Have, have we just kind of been going, yeah, I know it's in there, but I don't really want to look at that because it looks nothing like my life, nothing like my church, nothing like my history with God. Now, we can confess, hey, that's not been my experience, but what are you going to do from this point forward? Because I'm all about the present. You'll never hear me telling you, look in the rearview mirror and stand there and mourn. 
good night alive, man. There's so many people that are just separated from their destiny because they're trapped in their history and they can't get their hearts engaged in what God's doing. Now, what I'm saying is if you, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus said and meant it that if you, a Christian, believe in him, which is what it means to be a Christian, then you're going to do the works that he did and you will do greater works than he did. And collectively, we will do greater works than he did, but we will do the works that he did. So why have why is Christianity just been reduced to a proclamation of a verbal or written message? Is it, do you think there's any connection with the lack of respect the church has in our generation and the absence of power that the church has in our generation? Do you think maybe like they don't care about my sermons? <laughs> they don't. The culture, the world doesn't care about my sermons. That's why I'm constantly pressing in and say, Lord, if, you, if your kingdom does not come in word only, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit power, then Lord, I definitely need more power because I have released way more sermons than I have healings. I've released way more podcast episodes than I have um, exercising a demon out of somebody. And I've done quite a bit of that. I have... Um, I've got, I've got a book. I wrote a book and then the book took me longer to write. And in the months that I took to write the book, I didn't raise a single person from the dead and still haven't. I've been a Christian for 30 years almost and still haven't raised a single person from the dead. And my Bible says that I can. So I'm not only challenging you, I'm challenging my own heart. And here's the, here's the bottom line. You're not going to get this kind of power by being in a conference junkie that just keeps going down front to get the, the superstar Christian to lay their hand on you. And that might be a genuine Christian. They may truly operate and flow, but their anointing can't just get on you because you haven't paid the price to steward that anointing. Everybody that operates under a heavy anointing for healing, for deliverance, for raising the dead, you have no idea what price they paid to get that anointing. And it is audacious to think that you can saunter up to the church service at the front of the, the sanctuary and have them touch you. And you're going to walk away with the power of God that they operate that took them 10 years of dying to themselves to get. No, rather than keep going forth and hoping that some, some of what they have gets on you. Why don't you start today by dying to yourself a little more deeply? And guys, listen, it's not just guys, but Christian friend, listen, you know, if you're compromised or not, you know, if you're in and out of sin, you know, if you're half hearted, like you want the power of God, but you don't have the, you, Jesus said that a lot of this is contingent on your faith, faith. And there's no such thing as faith apart from obedience. <clears throat> Excuse me. Faith is always manifesting in obedience. And people are wanting power to do the supernatural, but they don't even have the faith to tithe. You don't even have enough faith to trust God with your money. And you want, you, you want, you want God to entrust you the power to cast out devils? raise the dead, heal the sick, 
but you haven't even come to the kindergarten class and gotten your little diploma about what it means to give sacrificially or to serve in your local church or to go to church for that matter. I, I, I know I'm being a little confrontational here, but good night alive, we need a little bit more confrontation. That's why the church is lukewarm because nobody will turn the heat up. And so when I'm reading John 14, 12, and I'm done today, all I'm saying to you is, do you believe Jesus? And, and I know you do in the, in the most general sense, but do you believe that you'll do the works that he did because you're his? Then you, you got to start pressing into this with a lot of, there's so many of us that are pressing in and having to repent and say, God, forgive me. Why don't I have this power? And the Lord answers back as a loving, but true father. And he's saying, you don't have this power because you and I don't have a close enough relationship. You don't come and talk to me. You don't listen to me like you used to or like you could. But Jeff or whatever your name is, listener, I'm more than willing to release everything that you're asking for and more. But I won't give it to anybody that doesn't value it enough to consecrate themselves unto me to get it. You see, friends, salvation is free. You don't have to do a thing to get it, but believe. All you do is bring your sin that made your salvation necessary. That's the only thing you contribute to that thing called justification. But power? Ooh, power is not like that. Power is not just simply yours, no matter how you live, what you think, what you do, or what you give yourself to. Power doesn't come to the alloyed heart, the mixtured heart. The power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, comes to those who say, God, I want you more than I want anything. And whether that power starts releasing in my life in 24 hours, six months, or five years, I've made up my mind. You're my highest pursuit, and you're worthy of me consecrating myself to you. So, Lord, I don't do it so I can get power from you. I do it because you're all that I truly want and you're all that I truly need. And that's the kind of life that eventually something will shift and there'll be an anointing that comes through that life. And if enough of us will continue to press in for that, the future of the church is glorious here in the United States of America or wherever you might be listening. I appreciate you tuning in today. I hope you'll continue to tune in. To Mavericks and Misfits, we drop a new episode just about every Tuesday. And uh, if you're interested in hearing some of the other episodes, you can go to maverickmisfit.com. Maverickmisfit.com holds all the archives right at about 150 episodes. I think we're coming up on that. And I uh, also want to invite you, if you're interested in being a part of a church that is going after it, come and join us in Bethlehem, Georgia at Antioch Outpost, Antioch Outpost at 546 Treadwell Road in Bethlehem, Georgia. Uh, we meet Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. We meet every Tuesday from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. for corporate prayer. You can come and go during any of those times. We have communion on Tuesday nights. We meet Sunday mornings for another hour of prayer from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then Wednesday night, I teach a Bible study there. We are a church that is training and equipping for the work of ministry, because it's not about the professionals doing it. 
No, we have five-fold offices that are recognized in our church, and we are helping people get equipped for ministry. And it's time for you to be a part of an assembly like that instead of the one-man show or the one-woman show where you just sit in a chair and watch people do ministry on Sundays for an hour. That is going to disappear off the American landscape. And quite frankly, I can't wait till it happens because it's not real. And so we encourage you. Listen, if you really want to do a deep dive, um, I happen to be the privileged uh, operations officer of Caneo Ministry Training Center. And in the month of May, May 21st to 28th, we are hosting seven days in May. And on those seven days, you can register for the upcoming school year. You can earn a degree. You can earn a diploma or you can simply audit classes. You can do it in person. You can do it on demand or you can watch live online. We make it easy where anybody that wants to can be a part of uh, the student body at Caneo Ministry Training Center. And seven days in May, from May 21st to the 28th, you can register for the next school year for $25. That gets you your spot secured. And you can go to Caneo, K-I-N-E-O, Caneo, M-T-C-M. KaneoMTC.com, and you can register there, but only from the 21st to the 28th of May. So make a note of that. May 21st to May 28th, you register there, and uh, you can get it for 25. If you want to spend double that, you can register right now um, or anytime after the 28th of May. But those seven days are to help you get on board for the lowest possible price, and tuition fees are all there. And I'm just encouraging you to be a part of it. We've got 40 plus campuses all around the United States of America. We've got two that are overseas. And um, we're hosting one in Bethlehem, Georgia. You want to come be a part of our campus on Tuesday nights? You can come be a part of it at Antioch Outpost in Bethlehem, Georgia. But go to KaneoMTC.com and go for that deeper dive. Come on, guys. Let's get educated. Let's get inspired. Let's get filled. Let's get filled with the Word of God. Let's get filled with the passion of the Holy Spirit. And let's quit playing church in the name of Jesus. May the, the church actors go go away. And I believe God wants to turn his bride over to people that are on fire and authentic. You're going to see a lot of people with position lose their positions because God is raising up a generation of fire breathing. I mean, just on fire Christians that are saying enough with the systems, enough with the traditions, enough with the the stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the heart of Jesus And those people, when they are right, oh man, I feel the, I just feel the Lord's pulse on this right now. When they rise up, they're going to do the works that he did. They're going to do the works that Jesus Christ did and greater works than even Jesus Christ did. That's what Jesus said. Don't you let your little switch flip there. Oh, Jeff, that's heresy. No, Jesus said greater works than these you will do when I go back to the father. All right, time's up. Passion's not gone, but the time is gone. So we'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.